This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You can do it right from where you are by taking one simple step. So always keep that mindset that there is light through the darkness and dreams truly are real. Hello, everyone. Today we are here with Dan McPherson, international speaker, podcast host, business and personal development coach, and CEO of Leaders Must Lead. And he is on a mission to help creatives and entrepreneurs create and grow profits and understand that dreams are real. With more than 25 years of experience in corporate roles and leading teams up to 2,000 and responsible for more than $150 million in revenue, Dan is a recognized expert in leadership, sales, and business strategy. And we have Dan here today, and we are going to pick his brain and have him teach us how to be an effective leader without being a jerk. So welcome, Dan, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. That was uh, was quite a mouthful of things. Makes me feel like a, makes me feel like we have a lot going on. I am excited to be here and glad to share what I can to help. I certainly have learned those lessons of how not to be a jerk the hard way by doing it the other way first. Yeah, I think a lot of lessons we all learn is the hard way, right? Yes, yes. For for me, I I will semi jokingly, but frequently say my t- my top lesson is don't be a Dan. I, I did all the things so that you don't have to. Oh, all right. So Dan, it's obvious that you have a lot of experience in leading. So let's start from here. Can you tell us about your background and how you you know became a leader? What did you learn? What you know whether it's in an, an academic way or just by, you know, experiencing life. But what did you learn to help you become a leader? I, I think the leader that I am now really began when I was very young. I was exposed to just a ton of stuff when I was younger. And I think so many of us are, but I, I was hidden from my father for six years when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And then when we came back to town, my mother and I were, were just mired. As I look back now, we were super poor mm-hmm. and she was selling herself to get rent and she did, we just did everything we could to survive. Then she got remarried and I was exposed to violence and drugs and all wow. kinds of crazy stuff in that world. And I, I got to a spot where by the time I was 16, I felt super hopeless. I felt unprepared. And I, I talked to so many people who felt that way. Mm-hmm. And I, that was when I for, survived my first suicide attempt. Wow. I, I just, I was in a, such a bad place and I'm grateful to those who helped me. And I came out of it though, with what I would say is one of the core principles of leadership for me right now, which is the beginnings of the understanding that your environment, the place you are, the people you're around, that that has influence, of course, but it's our choices that truly create change. And I went forward from there, passionate about making choices that would allow me to make real change. And that led me down, I I guess, a search for what I was supposed to do in the world. I felt like I was supposed to do something significant and I was passionate to help a lot of people, but I had no real idea how. 
And I spent 25 years going through sales and then into leadership because I, I got to where I was really good at sales and went out and was making amazing money and then said, you know what? My passion is helping other people. So I'm going to step back, make almost nothing to start leading people. And that was the beginning of, of I would say, my first real leadership understanding. And I, I was a, I was an aggressive student of say of sales first and then of leadership. I wanted to learn how to get better. I was rough around the edges would be being kind. <laughs> I, was, I was intense. I was aggressive and I, and I was committed to winning, but I didn't really know how to do it. I moved through sales organizations. I worked for home improvement companies. And then finally I got frustrated with home improvements and I moved into more mainstream retail, working as a district manager for companies like Brookstone after having worked in home improvements for Home Depot and a bunch of others. And I worked for Brookstone selling gadgets in stores as a district manager. I then moved into the college textbook industry and sold everything in that world, clothing and supplies and textbooks and even a little bit of food and managed a region for that and then moved into the most complex job that I've ever had, which was running retail stores in airports, which is a whole bundle of story in and of itself, where I learned so much. I learned about politics. I learned about how to build and construct and open stores, a lot more about hiring and firing. And I had the largest team I'd ever had. I grew a team to close to a thousand people there and got to that spot and finally said, you know what? I either have to do it or admit that I'm not going to do it. And what the it was, was whatever I was meant to do for the rest of my life. It was whatever my purpose was meant to be. And so I jumped off the cliff, resigned my position, and started Leaders Must Lead. Hmm. Let me ask you this. Let me backtrack a little bit. Now, you had, a seems like, quite a few sales jobs, right? Did you? I did. I worked in sales for quite a while. Did you? Um, did you just learn sales like on the job, or did you actually take any training or have any classes? I don't know if they actually have classes in, the, in a in a you know college setting or about sales. But do, how did you you know learn your sales strategies? I learned not really through any formal, formal way. I did go through some training with the companies that I had. Each company might have two weeks of training or they would bring in a special speaker. But most of it I learned from doing, which is the long way. I've, I've taught people the much shorter way, taking the things that I've learned. What was interesting for me is that I was always curious about every way to do it. I wanted to, I wanted to learn the psychology of it. I wanted to learn the why behind the what. And I'm passionate about sharing that today. I think that's one of the keys for leaders is to make sure when you do something, you share not just the thing, but the why behind the what. I dug into that. Mm -hmm. And when I did, I... I started to learn. I did two other things that were really important. One is I role-played every day. People hear role-playing and they go, oh, God, I don't want to do that. That's the most horrible thing I could imagine. Right. I did it while I was straight commission. Two hours a day, I would drive and go do this. And that changed my entire world. That changed the trajectory of my life. That's one that was really big. The other was something that I believe is super important in leadership as well as in sales, which is that I had this mental transition from they to I. When we went out to sales appointments, and I was working straight commission, driving 2,000 miles a week on my own dime. And this is this is in the 90s. This was not glamorous to say mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. right? I, I was 
no map. I, I had these paper maps. I would stop at the pizza places to find stuff. And I would drive out there. And when we were done, we had to call into my boss and picture this. I had to drive up to a payphone, often where drug deals were occurring, be like, hey, can I use the phone for a moment? And I would call into my boss and he would say, so tell me what happened on the appointment. And the first thing that I would want to say is, I made a sale because that meant I made money, but also I got the easy answer. He's like, great. How much? Good job. Have a great night. I was done. Mm -hmm. The second thing I would want was, oh, nobody was home because I felt like I couldn't control that. So I was good. Right. The the worst one was, well, I didn't sell it. And he would say, why not? My first six months, my answers sounded a lot like, well, they didn't like the color. They didn't have the money. They weren't interested. You hear a pattern there. It's they, 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 they. Mm -hmm. About six months in, something really started to connect that, hey, wait, I'm letting other people control my success and my attitude and my mindset and all of those things. And that's just bad. Mm-hmm. And it was burned into my head at that point that it's all about me. I'm 100% in control of me. And if I give them control over my success, I'm never going to get there. So I changed my mindset and came out and said, I didn't connect the right color for them. I didn't, I wasn't able to find this. I wasn't able to do this. And I started every night when I came out of a home asking, what will I do differently next time? How will I approach it differently next time? And I committed to never, it wasn't that I wasn't going to lose to the same thing, but I committed to never losing to the same thing, the same way twice. And that it was always me and my responsibility. And I carry that with me in leadership today that when something doesn't go right, it's it's my responsibility to help figure it out and help support my team so that they can. Right. All right. I kind of like to, for, I kind of like to actually get into it quickly so I don't lose the people that came, you know, for what they came here for. But I have so many other questions to ask you, but let's jump right into give us some tips of being, a you know, management tips without being a jerk. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is an important topic and ever more important in today's society where social media teaches us to be a jerk, not teaches us not to. Uh, we are, we're, we're conditioned to be trolls. And as a leader, it can be easy, especially as you feel the pressure start closing in, like you're, you're leading your first team or your second team, and you're not quite sure what you're doing, you're finding your way, and then the pressure comes from your boss. Where's the performance? And that pressure can cause us to really struggle. So I, I love that you're asking about this. Mm-hmm. The first tip that I would give is simple but really important. It is that it is to always remember that leadership is about people, not tasks. Managing fo- managers focus on the tasks, and man- there can be, there are managers who are great leaders, but there are managers who are terrible leaders. Right. And a management mindset focuses on tasks. A leadership mindset focuses upon the people who complete the tasks. In both ways, the tasks get done, but the mindset shift is complete. And a couple of supports to that. Think of your team or as your clients. Think of those who you work with and you report to as your clients. Ask yourself, how would I treat the end user? How would I treat the customer? And treat your team that way. Value them in that way. Why? Because they are your end user. They are the people who are there. And the second is what I mentioned earlier, which is always give them the why behind the what. Help them develop. Help them learn. Help them understand why and connect them to the vision and you will have a huge win for that. 
So that's that's one tip. I'm glad to give a couple more, but I think I see you with a question. All right. <laughs> well, um, um, I think you're saying, and I th- or said that you know it's good to have a relationship with your team. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you this: Is there ever, um, or is it possible that? You can become too friendly with your team. Is there some sort of barrier that needs to stay there for you to still have, you know, to be the leader or have command or not? I think there is a line. I think that it's, it, this is a greatly debated topic over the, over the years. Mm-hmm. And I, I have frequently said, I guess through most of my career, that it's important to be friendly, but beware of being friends. Mm-hmm. I've had people who are friends who have worked for me. And early in my career, that was a disaster. Mm-hmm. More recently, mm-hmm. it has been less so. What I am clear about is where the line is. And mm-hmm. I, I think that I think that line of understanding, hey, I, I've, I have a responsibility to lead the team in the most effective way possible. Mm-hmm. And I have a responsibility within that to care about the people on my team, to help them develop, to help them grow, to help them learn. Mm-hmm. And I will not sacrifice either of those responsibilities. So if we choose to work together and we happened to be friends beforehand, mm-hmm. that's really cool. Right. But understand that I'm that I'm going to lead an, and that every decision I make, every communication I have is only designed to help you. And that's really where you get you get to this spot where it's easier to do if you have a trust between the two of you that I will only try to help you. Right. Uh, can it go too far? Absolutely. I I, I do watch how far that how far that line goes. I think it's I think it's probably drawn a little bit differently for each person. But there's nobody on my team right now who are all in to some degree friends of mine who Mm. I'm passionate about. Mm. There's nobody on my team, I think, who has any question of where that relationship lies. And as long as you're clear without being heavy handed, without being strong, you should never have to say, I'm the boss. I'm the leader. If you have to say that, you've lost. Right. You know, and I just kind of somehow, I I just kind of take the idea from, because I grew up in a military family and I grew Mm -hmm. up around military people most of my life. And I know that in the military, officers are not allowed to fraternize with enlisted. It's pretty, you know, pretty, you know, it's a pretty solid, a pretty solid rule there. You know, they don't, you know, so to me, it's like officers to me are more management and enlisted are more, you know, the workers. So some, I guess they may, maybe the military just needs to be a little more extreme in their, in their, in their profession and what they have to deal with. I think there. I think they do because there's there are matters of life and death. That right. said, within leadership, there are much less dramatic. But the matters of life and death of the company, I think, being clear of where the priorities are really helps. But I, as I mentioned, I do think that there there is a line. I I do go and get lunch with my team. I go mm-hmm. and uh, and because I work with a lot of creatives, we may end up even going to a show in some cases together. But I'd say there's that there is a line to that that is still there with each of them. I Jocko Willink does it does a nice job of talking about this topic is he would hang out with his guys and he would go get beers with them, but yet there was a line that he wouldn't cross and and he gives a great military perspective on that. Mm-hmm. I I enjoyed his discussion of it and agree with where, where he drew that line as well. Right. I really like how you said about that, you know, how you have a lot of great communication with your team so they have the understanding. And within this communication, um, how do you motivate your team without being, you know, without being too pushy or, or you know, have them being afraid of you? 
Yeah, I, I, there are two concepts here that that maybe matter most to me. The first, I actually borrow from the book Good to Great. I'm a synthesizer, so I've read a lot of stuff and I've been th- and I've talked to a lot of people, and I like to grab pieces from each of them. And one of the things that that they that he says in that book is that you should hire people who are already motivated. If mm-hmm. you have to motivate your team, you probably have the wrong people, or you've done something to demotivate them. Right. So. Well, the first thing I look for is people who are already motivated, who are already driven, who need to be pointed in a direction. And maybe they, they need to be coached and, and guided to learn and grow and develop, but they have that internal fire already. Because if I have to provide that in addition to everything else, I've probably missed it. That said, concept number two is the importance of sharing vision and communication, communicating clearly. Mm-hmm. If you do both of those things in an effective way, then the momentum will continue. That motivation will have a path. And what, what I find is that people get demotivated from one of two things, either not being trusted and empowered and delegated to and given real responsibility and real authority, which we can dig into as much as you would like, or that they don't understand where they're going so they don't have a clear path and they feel like they're running into obstacles all the time. It's one of those two. And if you've got somebody who's not motivated, it's either those or it's that you've got someone who just doesn't have the fire in their belly, which is a bigger issue. And any one of those are, that. that's how I'd problem solve it is if I've got somebody that isn't motivated, ask, is it A, B, or C? That makes a lot of sense. All right. So give us another tip here. Sure. Another tip would be to create a feedback loop, to mm-hmm. to look for feedback. This sounds strange, but I will tell you, I seek feedback from my team all the time. Mm-hmm. If you were to ask any one of them, I send out a video update each week and I'm saying, hey, tell me tell me what you see that I don't. Mm-hmm. When I talk to them, I'll say, hey, did, let, always let me know if I come across in a way that doesn't connect or if something isn't clear. I also actively seek to hire people who think, who have opinions and who have experiences that are different than mine. So I create this feedback loop where first I encourage feedback. This loop is four steps. It's encourage, condition, evaluate, and act. I encourage the behavior. I want to encourage real feedback and show that I'm open to that. Second is to condition your own response. When we get feedback, it's easy to be defensive. It's easy to drop it, drop the, uh, the pretense that some people have of like trying to develop and really ask for it or to have not meant it. But when we get it, it it can hurt. It can be hard. And if you're getting the right feedback, some of it will hurt and be hard. Mm -hmm. So condition our response to recognize we're asking for it. We should be good with it. And then third is to look and evaluate. You, you evaluate any feedback you get in the light of it, of is it perception or is it reality? And it's okay if it's either one, but here's the part that most people miss. If it's perception, then my responsibility is to change the perception. If it's reality, my responsibility is to tra- change the reality. In other words, either way, the responsibility is on me to create and make a change. But knowing which one it is allows me to know what path is the best to be able to make that change. Finally, once I have now gotten the feedback, I have responded to it well, I've evaluated, now I should act. I need to do something about it. If your team doesn't see you doing something about the feedback that you got, then they will stop giving you feedback and they'll just shut down and you'll lose that trust that you spent so much time building with them. You know, it's interesting is that to me, it sounds like um, you have to just let go of your ego to be able to accept the feedback. 
And it's interesting that when we met before and we spoke that you had said that you had gotten over yourself. And what's very interesting is here in San Antonio, where I'm I'm at, uh, you know, the, the big thing here is the San Antonio Spurs. And the coach, famous coach Popovich, is, uh, is quite oftenly talking about, has the players gotten over themselves yet? So, um, yeah, once again, it sounds like to me, you're okay with your ego and you're, you're accepting feedback so you can make changes and make positive changes. I think it's really important. Ego is an outward manifestation of insecurity, right? It's it's how we cover insecurity. Mm-hmm. And I spent much of my life being incredibly insecure. Regardless of the level of success I found, mm-hmm. I was looking for that success to make me feel secure, mm-hmm. which may have been not the best path. I don't recommend it. Right. But as I did, that would come out in terms of ego. I went through some pretty big changes and I I rebuilt from the ground up. And one of the biggest things for me was just going from being insecure and inward focused to being outward focused and how do I help others and be then finally becoming comfortable in my own skin and creating a personal resonance. Yeah. What's very fascinating is I'm sure you know who Mike Tyson is. I mean, pretty much who doesn't. And I happened to catch an interview with him recently and he and uh, Customato, his coach, basically told him, and I'm kind of paraphrasing him here, but the guy with the biggest ego is the winner, and the most or or the most successful. And he kind of he felt like he fed his ego, and his ego is what made him so powerful, Mike Tyson. But then later in the interview, he basically said that you know that really isn't the thing that's going to create happiness and success in life. And um, it was all, it was a, it was a really weird, com- it was a really weird interview because they were talking about this stuff called DMT, which is like a psychotropic drug. Mm-hmm. And when you take that drug or when he took the drug, it like, it like destroyed his ego and like he was left with nothing. So it was like fearful for him and, and, you know, like maybe he didn't know what to do because all of a sudden he, from that drug, it seemed like, you know, his ego had disappeared. But I just thought that was very fascinating because I generally agree with you. I mean, you've got to let go of your ego to be able to accept feedback and to be able to make changes and, you know, and not be, you know, upset when someone says something to you, but actually really listen and pay attention because they might give you some valuable information. But I just kind of went off on a tangent because I thought that was kind of very fascinating when he was talking about that. Yeah, I I, I think that's a very good topic and you can dig a long way into that topic as well, even to the to the thought that if you're an individual going through the world, you can live with your ego. Right. You might never find that true fulfillment. You might be continuing to search for it, but you can win. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to be part of a team, and particularly if you're going to be a leader of a team, then with that ego in the way, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to get sustained, consistent success. You can get there for a minute. I, earlier in my career, when I was super intense, and pretty ego-driven and performance and, and accomplishment-driven, I would go and work with the team and for six months, we'd be really successful. And then our performance would start to drop off. And I wondered why until one day an HR person said, hey, that's a really common pattern. We see that in leaders who are lost in their own ego. And that was like a punch in the face at the time. Wow. Uh, and Now I look and I see that so much that if we do everything we can in the world to help other people win, Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. a lot of the rest will take care of itself. And if we do that with some degree of strategy, then success is the natural outflow. Or if we're doing it in business, money is actually the natural outflow. But that mindset is what allows us to take really big steps forward in a powerful way. And it gets into another tip that I would share, which is to say, choose your attitude, choose your energy, choose your gratitude, choose your authenticity and resonance. And I can chat about any of those, but those things you have a choice of. And when you gain that true authenticity, you will connect with your team in a better way. When you are not trying to be somebody, but you're comfortable in your own skin and you're comfortable letting them be in theirs and helping them to win to increasingly higher levels and to accomplish their goals, you'll accomplish so much more. Right. Let me ask you this. This is kind of a little bit different, but do you think people or humans are are generally naturally leaders? Or are, is that something that is just I mean, I'm sure there's some that are natural leaders, natural leaders, but for the for the vast majority, I'm my think my thought is that most people are not leaders or um and to follow up with that is like if nobody's a leader is that uh, is a leader something that can be taught well i'll I'll have a i guess a a, an unusual viewpoint on this i believe that every single person is a leader Mm -hmm. i believe that the only decision is whether they're good at it or not right you look at it and you you have a three-year-old kid they go to do something and the two-year-olds follow them they're a leader Right. You, we can lead people into bad or into good. We can be good at it or we can be bad at it, but we have influence and really leadership is influence. So the minute that you say, I have influence, I'm a leader. Right. So I would start there more to where I think you're, you're looking is, is how about the people who are good at it? Is that natural? Is that trained? Certainly there are people who have instincts that lead them towards some of the better pieces but all of them get trained to get better, whether through experience or through formal training. And typically when they work through our leadership training, which is, is part, even part of the platform that we're launching, it's the very first cornerstone that we say, if you're going to do anything in the world, learn leadership first, learn to become a more effective leader because that'll change everything else in your life. That when people go through that, they see things differently. They shift their lens and look at the world a little bit differently and they move forward. Are there different levels of instincts? Sure, but everyone's a leader. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I like that. I never thought about that with the with the, the example you gave with children. My my kind of thought is like that. What got me to that thinking about that is like, and I I only see examples because I only know Christianity, but there's other religions that I don't. You know, I don't speak Arabic to read Islam, and I don't really look at other religions. But it seems like that you see a lot of time. Jesus is the shepherd and the people are the sheep, right? Or the flock. Mm-hmm. So it and it seems like to me that people it's just something that ingrained in human DNA that they like to worship whether it's God, whether it's a singer, an actor or, you know, whatever. And so and I just kind of felt like is it natural for human behavior to be more of a follower versus a leader? That's kind of what I was thinking about. So I when I look at that, I, I say that to be the most effective leader, you need to also be able to be a great follower. There's always going to be somebody that you follow. There's always going to be somebody you connect with. 
there are also levels of influence. You, you look at somebody who maybe they know two people in the world. They might have incredible influence with those two people, but it's limited in scope. You look at somebody who has influence, maybe one of the singers you mentioned who has influence over millions mm. and their influence, the scope of it may be much more significant. Either one may be better or worse at how they use it, but the level of influence and the skill of influence in my mind are two very different things. Yes. And so I, I think that's I think that's an important connection to make. Do I think that we're all naturally followers? Maybe, maybe not. I think that more people could use the mindset of learning how to be a good follower. I certainly needed to learn that. And we all, as I already mentioned, could use the mindset of how do I become a better leader? Because in some characteristics, you'll be both depending upon where you are in your life, your home, your business, whatever it is, you'll have both components. Right. Unless you own your own business or you're the leader of a country, I mean, you know, at most, at some point, you're going to have to be a follower. I don't even know if there's any, actually any point where nobody can escape being a follower. There's not even the even the leaders of countries have coaches, right. even the, the and they have advisors, right? And so they they look and say, "I am in the picture, so I, I I'm in the frame, so I can't see the picture." Right. And, and when they look and see that, they say, "I need an objective viewpoint," and wisdom causes them to become a follower in that sense and to always seek guidance. That's why I have several coaches is I have three coaches that I work with and that I appreciate their feedback. Mm-hmm. We all have components of both. And even if you take it separate from that and you're, and you define it so much more strictly to say your current position at some point to get to your current position, if you were a leader of a high performance team, now you could have led bad teams. You could have, you could have, succeeded in spite of other things. We see people who succeed almost by mistake in some cases, but that could have happened. But in general, if you're going to lead a high performance team, it's because you have taken that opportunity to step forward and learn how to be a really good follower first. Okay. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Okay. Do you have another tip for us? <laughs> of course. I mentioned the feedback loop and closely tied to that is yeah. what I would call a communication loop. When you connect with people, there, is, there are hundreds of ways you can do it. And we have small interactions and big interactions. But what I find the most effective is to think of it in this way. Connect, care, be transparent, share vision, have actions and follow up. Now that sounds long, but it's not really that complicated. It is connect with the person where they're at, not where you're at. Leaders have a natural style. There are only, depending on who you read, four to six leadership styles that are primary. And all leaders are going to default to one that they feel really comfortable in. Most leaders earlier in their career try to communicate only in that one. But as you grow, you start to recognize that you need to communicate. You can be good at one. That's great. But you've got to have some knowledge of the others and you have to communicate in the style that matters to the person because leadership is about people. Then you demonstrate that you care. Notice I haven't said I ask for anything yet. That comes later. Mm-hmm. You demonstrate that you sincerely care and authentically care for the person. You are authentic and you are transparent with them. I like to share everything that's going on in my business that doesn't have to be super private 
which is a very tiny amount of information. And I share it all with my team very openly. And that transparency, that authenticity connects. Then finally, you've earned the right to share your vision. Think of it as they're primed to want to hear it now because you've demonstrated that they matter. Now you share your vision and and there are a lot of trainings that we do about how to share that in a powerful way. You share the vision and that will motivate the actions that you can then agree upon. And once you do that, you follow up with the actions. How did it go? And you start to cycle all over again. That loop of thinking of communication in that way will make sure it's like a little mental checklist to make sure, hey, I'm trying to train myself to naturally do this, but maybe I don't have it quite ingrained yet. It's not quite instinctive yet. But if I do it in this way, I know that I'm going to build real relationships. My team will know I care and we'll be able to move the business forward. Hmm, That's great. Let me ask you a question about being a public speaker. I'm going to kind of switch gears here because you do quite a bit of public speaking and I think even public speaking internationally as well. Yes, sir. Um, When you, do you think that public speakers, whether it's on a stage, on the radio, on a podcast, on a YouTube video or whatever, uh, do you think that the person that's the most opinion, it doesn't really matter about what they're saying. It almost seems, from my observations, it almost never really, not never, but it seems more about how confident they are and how opinionated they are. That type of person, just speaking of whatever they want to say, their opinion strongly, confidently, that that is what is kind of the most important things that get people to listen to you. Like if you'll see a public speaker or something and he may be the most, and obviously it's going to be in politics because you've got maybe a Democrat or Republican and you just have some guy that's just like, you know, he's going to say his own story and there's millions of people that are going to love that guy. You know what I mean? Whether he's factual or not doesn't matter. They just love his energy, his passion, his confidence. A couple of thoughts there. First is, yes, people love confidence, right? We don't want to listen to somebody that sounds insecure and mousy and quiet and hides on stage. Who wants to Who wants to right. go to that or pay to go to that? That is a very important skill for new speakers to learn mm-hmm. is to even, even they're told act as if get out there and know that what you have is valuable. That I think makes a lot of sense to most people. If mm-hmm. we're going to share anything, We want to share it with confidence. We want to share what we understand. I also like to hold to the idea that I have strong opinions loosely held, meaning I I research what I think. I've done a lot of testing. If I find out something that contradicts that in a serious way, I'll look at it. And if I find out I was wrong, I'll own that. Mm. Well, let's talk about the other half of this, which I think is a far more interesting piece of the discussion of these strong opinions and people stepping on stage with strong opinions and whether that carries the day. I, I was connected earlier this year. I was actually at an event with a gentleman by the name of Mark Stoner, who's a great guy. He was actually just on our podcast. And one of the things that Mark said to me while I was at that event was transformative in my mind. He said that it's important, very important, in fact, essential even, that we be kind, but not always nice. Nice is often for us to make us feel good. Mm -hmm. We soften ourselves so that we can protect ourselves from the opinions of those who disagree with us. But we do need to be kind and say the things that we know to be true. One of the things he said is, if you don't have an opinion, you're in the middle of the road, and we know what happens to animals in the middle of the road. They become roadkill. They're irrelevant, Mm -hmm. and they go away. So having an opinion matters. Where I think this gets mixed and missed is that you can have an opinion and 
have it be well-informed and be great at presenting it and share it with confidence, you can also share it as a complete jerk. We're talking tonight about not being a jerk. Right. And, and there are opinions that are uninformed that people share just because they're sharing out of ego or reactiveness. And it's clearly not about people. It's about the, it's about them. Yeah. And when you do, those speakers tend to struggle far more. They Some of them will cover it up by a lot of manipulative skills. And mm-hmm. I, I've studied those. I refuse to use them. But I, I see them and I understand them. The others will say, hey, look, I understand this stuff and I, and I have things that I know to be true and I want to share it because I want to help. And those people tend to build pretty significant followings as well. Sadly, both groups get a lot of a following, but the ones who endure for many years tend to be the ones who do it from that heart-centered way. Yeah. I mean, I generally agree with you. And I, I think it's the best way, as you said, to be nice, be kind. But I just, from one of my observations, and I should have probably posed that in the question, is it seemed like the people that are kind of the more jerkier and, the, you know, they don't care whose toes they step on when they're giving their opinion about a certain subject are the most successful. Well, I, again, I want to, I think it's important to clarify something there. If I'm sharing an opinion, I want to mm. be kind about how I'm sharing it. But I, what I've learned is I need not to soften it. In other words, I need to say it with passion. One of the things I'm known for with my one-on-one clients, and they, they will all say this lovingly. So I'm going to use a, I'll use a phrase, but they use it lovingly and they stay with me. I, I don't use contracts and they stay with me for years. Mm-hmm. And they rave about what we do is they say, Dan, I, I'm going to call you when I need to get my teeth kicked in. And it's because I'm, they just know I'm going to be really direct with them. I'm going to say, no, that this isn't the thing. You're seeing this wrong, and I have no problem telling them that. They also, though, have a trust relationship with me that they know I will never tell them anything that isn't designed to help them. I have only one purpose in sharing that information with them, and it is to help them win. And because they know that, Mm. I share that. If you can build that relationship with your audience, which can take 30 seconds or 30 years, depending upon how you're, how good you are with it. If you build that relationship with your audience, then, then you can share difficult things without being a jerk. Yeah. I do go out and share very strong opinions about a number of things. Think just earlier in this conversation, when you shared with me what you thought of, about leaders and my response was, hey, look everybody's a leader. Mm. I didn't soften that. I didn't say, oh, well, I kind of think this. I said, no, everybody's a leader. The only question is whether you're good at it. There is an example of me doing that with kindness, but I wasn't super soft about it. Right. That makes sense. I think if you don't have an opinion, then nobody wants to hear it, right? Like if if you're just in the middle of the road, who wants to listen? I agree with you. I just think that, you know, there's a certain level of people psychologically that it's almost like gossip. They want to hear that gossip and hear bad news about other people. They do. And and that comes from that same insecurity and ego and wanting to feel better. There's that. Mm-hmm. Also, it's it's recognizing who your audience is. Right. You know when you state a strong opinion that you're immediately cutting your audience in half or right. maybe more. Right. Right. So you so then you have to understand who your audience is and who you're meant to connect with. Are you going broad? Are you going narrow? Are you aiming at people who are in this demographic? And when you do, then you share, then you, you will do one of two things. You will either customize your message to your audience 
or you will customize your audience to your message. And in general, I think that customizing your audience to your message is probably better. Mm. So that because you're finding people who need to hear the voice that you have rather than playing the game. I'm not really a big fan of playing the game. I'd rather be who I am and help as many people as possible, but the people who are passionate about what we do. Right. And it kind of leads me to my next question is I know that you are the type of person that really likes to help people in your personal life that are people that are not on your team, just, you know, general friends and family. And if you see someone that needs help, do you help them without ask, without them asking anyways, or do you wait until somebody asks you? I think it depends on the situation. I like to think if someone is in need and I'm walking down the street and I see them that I'm going to try to help them. But I, I think like anything else, there are guidelines. You, you can't stop and help every single person individually that you see in any kind of need. But let, let's take it to a practical example. If I'm walking down the road and I see that a young mother car- carrying one kid just drops something on the ground, I hope I'm not, I, I would hope that I'm going to be a person of character that walks up and grabs that and, and steps up and hands it to her. Not one of the crowd who stands back and goes, Goes, oh man, can't believe she dropped that, which right. we all know that's going to be part of the crowd. Right. I, I want to be a person of character who, and a person of action who jumps in and does that. At the same time, the, there are lots of different ways that you can help. So if I see a need that I can meet immediately, I, I want to do that. That's one of the reasons why our team can also is com- where we are committing resources to the community. And we have a broader goal long-term of reducing the larger problems of society and shorter term of, of actually playing the short game of helping to reduce suicide. We want to help in a significant, meaningful way. And so I would say that that if it's an immediate need, we want to jump in at the, where it's clear, but otherwise we want to strategically help and pool our resources to put them in the most impactful place they can possibly be. Right. And I think I was kind of meaning more on the lines of, let's just say, you know, you have a friend and he's in a bad relationship and you know, like this, this is a like bad advice. place. Yeah. Like advice, that type of help. And you know that, you know, um, if if he would ask you, you could give him great advice. But do you always are you the type that you just keep quiet on advice to people until they ask you, or do you give it anyways? Because I'm oh, type of, I like to give advice, but I and I've read before and I've just kind of experienced in my life that it and that it's best not to help unless they ask. Yeah, I am. Uh, I I agree with what you just said, and I'm guilty. Mm-hmm. I I don't have a lot of quiet in me. Mm-hmm. And the best time I'm able to be quiet is when I'm interviewing somebody. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I certainly have opinions, and in particularly because I work with a lot of clients, and I know that I'm there to help them and there to guide them. What I like to do when I'm when I'm really being where I need to be and being conscious of it. What I like to do is ask questions. Mm -hmm. I find that for most of my life, I made a lot of statements. Now I like to ask a lot of questions. And as, as a friend of mine and, uh, and a gentleman that I, that we do some coaching with Ian likes to say, he says, Dan, you give me the space to figure it out, but you challenge me to do it. And so I, I, one of my key principles is to be more curious. One of the things I, I talk about, in, in fact, even with what we're talking about tonight, about not being a jerk as a leader, mm-hmm. is to understand that all development begins with me, that all development is personal, and improvement begins with I for a reason. One of those things, in addition to being compassionate and learning and teaching and acting, is to always be curious. 
So if I can ask a question, I can understand, I can leverage a principle of sales, which is if I get them to say it, it's the gospel truth. And if I say it, it could be a lie. So if I can help them get there, then it'll be a much bigger win. But candidly, that's been a challenge for me at times because I do like to share and I like to help. Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, maybe that's another human nature that most people want to help people, you know, but then you can go deeper. It's like, are you really wanting to help somebody because it's good for you or are you just really helping them to help them? You know what I mean? There's there's right. like that. It's kind of like, do, are you really giving a gift to make you feel better or are you giving right. the gift because the person needs the gift? Are, are you showing off or or did you find, or are you willing to be patient and find the right time? Right. There's a there's another idea that I like between that I like there which is this dichotomy between impatience and eagerness. Mm-hmm. Impatience and I for most of my younger years really up until just a few years ago, I would have defined one of my greatest weaknesses is that I was incredibly impatient. Mm-hmm. What I've come to understand now is that there is a significant difference between impatience and eagerness. Impatience centers around entitlement. It centers around, I deserve it. I should have it right now. Why don't Mm -hmm. I have it? Whereas eagerness still moving forward is about how do I earn it? How do I get better? How do I get there? I want to get there with the same degree of intensity, but the focus on how I do is tremendously different. And I think this applies to that whole advice giving way, right? Is that, am I eager to help or or am I impatient to show off? Right. Yeah. That's very interesting. I like the way you put that. All right. Do you have any more tips while we're, (laughs) while I've got you here and you still have some breath left? Oh, for sure. I, I will I will always have more tips. I, I, I would come back to one that we touched on earlier that I think is pretty important. Mm-hmm. Choose your attitude. When mm-hmm. when we train leadership as in whether in our foundations of success platform or whether at any of the trainings that we do, we talk about the four pillars of leadership. The first of those is personal growth because the most difficult person in the world to lead is yourself. And before you do that, it's very difficult to effectively create and lead a high performing team. The second is attitude, shaping your attitude, your mindset, how you look at the world and how you look at people. The third is communication, how you connect with others. And the fourth is finally team and how how do you lead a team. Within that attitude piece, we've talked a lot about personal growth tonight. Within the attitude piece, choosing your attitude is important. It's a choice. It's a decision. Mm -hmm. And in most cases, this is not a skill, as many would convince you that it is. It really is a yes, no choice. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to go on stage today, I can choose to have a high energy or not, regardless of what happened in my life. It may be a harder choice or, or an easier one, but it is a yes, no decision. So what I suggest, if you want to not be a jerk, is choose your energy, your gratitude, and your resonance. Your energy we all have that choice of, yes. am I going to be high positive energy or am I going to be negative like a Dementor from Harry Potter? Right. People tend towards one or the other. And mm. I'm very careful not to hire or bring into my life Dementors. And when I see that cloud, I push it away. I want people who to be around me and surround myself with people who are positive. The second is gratitude. When we live in gratitude, we will be less angry, we'll be less impatient. Why? Because the two things don't coexist. So I strongly suggest a gratitude practice every morning. Here's a really cool way to do it. And I I stole stole pieces of this. Mm -hmm. Write down every morning, 
don't think it, don't say it, write it down or type it. Three things that, that are non-repetitive that you've never written down before that you are grateful for. Once you do that for two and a half weeks, mm. it's almost exactly two and a half weeks. It will change your brain chemistry. And even though it only took you two and a half minutes in the morning, 12 hours later, you will be more grateful. And since you can't be grateful and angry at the same time, it literally changes your life to do that. I do a growth exercise on the back end of the day that's very mm. similar. And then finally, with this attitude idea, it is choose your resonance. Get the barriers out of the way to get comfortable in your own skin. And that's maybe a deeper conversation, but Mm -hmm. the first part of the solution to it involves recognizing who you spend the most time around is who you become. I like to say this is about choosing your five. There's a famous quote that says we become the average of the five people we spend the most time around. I believe that as a core principle. And every quarter I redo my five people. So I think choosing your attitude in different ways that shape how you respond to the world and change your brain chemistry is is immensely important in not being a jerk. Right. And I really agree with what you're saying about, I mean, everything I agree with, but I really, what I really resonated to was about choosing the people that you hang around with. And what's interesting is my wife has a saying that it's something like, tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who, who you are. Mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate to be connected to a lot of amazing people, yourself included. We had a great conversation the other night and mm-hmm. I, I, felt a resonance there. And I just, I love the people in the world that I'm connected with. And I love that I've gotten to the point in my life where I feel comfortable selecting that, that it, and, and not in some ego driven way, but rather in a, I want to get better way. I'm going to be, I'm going to be around people that make me better, that help me improve and that I can contribute to their lives in some positive way as well. And that, again, it's that whole mindset that if I'm focused on other people and I'm focused on getting better and I look and understand that I have a choice as to how I improve and how I deal with other people Mm. and how I move forward in life, that I won't be a jerk. You can't do those things and be a jerk. Right. Yeah. You're just basically, you know, when you're serving the public or serving your team or serving whoever, then, you know, you're going to be, you're going to come from this place of just, of giving and loving one other thing, one just one last tip that I have, and I'm sure I have 500 more, but one more that, that keeps bouncing around in my head because I, I think this is important for leaders of teams. Delegate and give real empowerment to people. Don't just give a task. Give a responsibility. Authentically and really give that to them. Coach people, support them, give them things that matter. Let them make real decisions. Let them make mistakes. If you see something that isn't right and you coach them on it, let them fix it. Don't re-involve yourself. Mm. Let every single person on your team do work that matters and makes a difference for the overall team. Let them understand how they contribute. Let them understand how they can grow. Let them understand what their future is and what their path is. And if you do those things, and there's certainly a deeper discussion involved there, Mm. but if you do those things, now people will feel valued and supported. And oh, by the way, your life will get infinitely easier as well. That's good. Let me ask you this. Um, You are also a podcaster. And can you tell me what do you love about being a podcaster? Different things than I thought I would. (laughs) I, I, I waited a long time to start a podcast. I I was asked to do one for a while and I I didn't want to do something unless it could be signal instead of noise, unless it could meet a need that wasn't being met. 
And I got into it thinking, this will be cool. I'll get a chance to connect and share some stories. And there was more to it than that, of course. But what I've found that I love most, honestly, are the people that I meet. The, the the connections that I make when we record a podcast, one of the things that I do afterward is, and I do this in life as well, not just in podcasting, but podcasting, it's very intentional, is I ask, who do you know that I should know? And the people that I have met from asking that simple question, the things I've learned from the other two questions I ask, how do I get better and how can I serve you are incredibly powerful as well. But the number one thing has been the people that I've met and the fact that I've chosen from the beginning to build relationships rather than to do a hit and run experience, but to build a relationship that we stay connected and we stay involved and we don't know where it'll go in a month or a year or a decade, but that they're real relationships. That's the the most magnificent thing that has come out of it. There are a lot of other great things, but that, that, and I, I guess one a would be, I love our, the Facebook group that has started and the community that is formed because of this and the incredible people there. Yeah. I, you know, I can kind of agree with that with the amount of podcasts I've done so far. I feel like, you know, I, with most people, I talk about an hour to an, an hour and a half max, but I feel like after that hour to hour and a half max talk, I've made a new friend and just sharing with people and communicating with people, you know, it's just kind of an interesting, an interesting, I don't know how you can say it. It's not really kind of like a bond that happens just from podcasting with a, with a stranger, basically, because I'm a little bit different. I just like, with you, I've spoke before, but with everybody else, I've just like, I'm meeting them for the first time on camera and um, everything has turned out great. And like I said, it's just, you kind of, by the end of the podcast, you've made a new friend, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I, I love that as well. And that that we seem, whoever I connect with, to always have an exchange back and forth. We're making introductions, we're making connections, we're thinking about future collaborations, or we're just following each other, Mm -hmm. but not in some, I just clicked a button way, but rather we really watch each other. It's kind of like when you meet somebody that you've maybe seen from a distance for a long time. And now you watch, if they're on a TV show, you watch that TV show with a little more interest or you follow that sports team with a little more interest. Cause you go, I know that guy. Mm-hmm. And th- I think that bond is wonderful. And I, I've done a lot of things to try to make sure that that bond is that much stronger because I, I believe that people matter most and relationships are everything. Yeah, I agree with that. So um, before I wrap it up here, let me ask you a few more questions. Like um, what projects are you working on right now that the world should know about? I, I really appreciate you asking. The thing that I'm most excited about right now in terms of putting into the world is our Foundations of Success online learning program. This is based in Thinkific. It's a course program. And I I would say that much like the podcast, I wouldn't do it until I knew that there was a need. I knew that we could be signal instead of noise. And I knew that we were doing something that mattered and could truly impact many, many people. 
we are taking the things that I would say they're, they're not the sexy topics, right? Mm -hmm. We see so many trainings and courses in the world, many of which are really cool that are, Hey, go four weeks to $400,000, right? Mm -hmm. I call those the four to 400 programs. I have some friends who do those, some of which are incredible and work very well. The challenge is that the success rate tends to be low on those because it's like taking a roof and putting it on a house that hasn't been built yet. We're going to take the trainings that are the house and we're going to put them out there for everyone to see. We actually launched in just a few days on the 26th Mm -hmm. and we're going to take things like communication, time effectiveness, leadership, like we talked about tonight, sales, and those are the cornerstones. And then we're also taking building blocks, like how to make effective decisions more quickly, how to evaluate risk, how to leverage the power of small numbers, how to avoid stress and overwhelm, lots of things like that, incorporate them. And we're including a mastermind that's been running for a couple of years already that has over 50 hours of training in it, all into one platform with the goal of giving people this longer term basis for success. The idea being that there's a quote from Archaeolocus and more recently from Jocko Willink mm-hmm. that says that we don't rise to the level of our hopes. We fall to the level of our training. And I adapt that to be the, mm-hmm. the level of our highest secured training. So our goal is to turn the paper walls that we've gotten training at into cinder blocks so that when you're under stress, you still have really strong foundation and walls. And you can put that roof on top and escalate not just for a year or a month, but for the rest of your life. So we're super excited about doing that because this is the training that is just so needed. Mm -hmm. And one last note about it is that it is based upon the trainings, and this is what it came out of, that I've shared with 100% of my one-on-one clients. Mm-hmm. We, I found the same topics came up over and over and over that they just had never been taught in an effective way and in this different way in their life. And they've paid me thousands and thousands of dollars over and over in some cases to train them on those same topics because they were so important. We just wanted to make it super affordable and get it out to a wide group of people. And so we're, I'm super excited about that. And of course, the podcast, Dreams Are Real. Well, that's awesome. Now, you know, people on Facebook can easily see under this podcast a link to find you or, you know, if, if there's, I don't know if there's one on Twitch, but this podcast will be audio only on Apple Podcasts. And so for those people who don't see links, what is the best way to find you? There are a couple of ways that are they're pretty easy. Leadersmustlead.com. And you can find us at Leaders Must Lead really on all social media. You can also find me under my name, Dan McPherson, on most social media. I'm glad to connect and glad to help. And then lastly is the Dreams Are Real Facebook group. If you're a Facebook person, come join us there. It's a great community. And if you're not the Facebook person, then find the Dreams Are Real podcast and listen in. And then I suspect you'll join us anyway because it's a pretty fun place to be. Great. All right. Before we wrap it up here, do you have one last message that you'd like to leave with the audience? I do. As you go through your life, you matter. It is easy in the craziness of our day-to-day to sometimes lose sight of that. And we, we talk a lot about personal development. We talk about a lot about a lot of things. But we all face different struggles, different challenges, some that are expected, some that are not. And there are two things that I I really like to put in front of people. The first is no matter what the challenges you face, you have value and there is light through the darkness. There, I have come through that darkness and I can say that I had no perspective on the other side of it. And I do now, and I'm excited for the future 
and there is a real future. There is light through the darkness. You matter. The second is this, whatever dream that you have, however small it is, however old it is, and maybe even unattended, no matter where you are, no matter what your background, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done in the world, your dream is real. You have an opportunity to accomplish it, to make the changes and the movements in your life to do it. And you can do it right from where you are by taking one simple step. So always keep that mindset that there is light through the darkness and dreams truly are real. Yeah, I really like that. I mean, and and that you matter. All three of those I think are terrific. That's awesome. All right, Dan, well, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate you and really appreciate that you gave us a little bit of your time today to share with us. And um, that's it. Thanks and have a wonderful evening. It's been a lot of fun. I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. 